Well, let me pray, and we're going to dive into part two of our prayer series. Father, we just bless you, and we thank you for your goodness this morning. Thank you for your love, and thank you for the incredible privilege we have to open up the word of God and to hear from you. And as we continue going before you, learning about prayer and, and going back to the basics, but going to fresh revelation of what prayer really means, we ask that you would speak to our hearts in a profound way this morning. Lead us in this time. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Uh, well, um, a couple weeks ago, I shared a testimony of our dear friends who just retired from the Army. They actually surprised us this past Tuesday for Nikki's birthday. They were driving from South Carolina, where they finished their final commitment to the Army, and traveling for eight days to come back home to Texas in New Bronzeville, where their new home is going to be. And so on the way home back to Texas, they so happened to be in our area on Nikki's birthday. So they stopped and they spent the night with us. And these people are absolutely incredible. I mean, think about a 17-year-old girl, an 18-year-old boy who met in boot camp, got married just a couple months later, and have been together for 23 years in the Army. I mean, to survive the army in 23 years and still have your sanity is powerful enough. But to walk out with a strong faith and one of the strongest marriages I've ever seen is a true testimony to the power of Jesus. And they've, they finished very well. They retired as majors in the army. And now they stepped into a new role in their 40s as what they call local missionaries. They are just darned and determined to just see Jesus in everything and everywhere. And wherever Jesus leads, they're going to be obedient to that and serve in that. And so a couple of weeks ago, I shared this testimony of our friends who have gone down to just one car. Uh, they, they had multiple vehicles, and now they were down to just their convertible Mini Cooper. That's all they had left. And one day they were driving as a family, and an 85-year-old little lady ran a stop sign and smashed into them. Their car was perfectly fine, but um, hers was totaled. And in a process of five hours of ministering to this lady, they actually led her to the Lord. Now, that's just a phenomenal testimony. But as we had dinner on Tuesday night and we revisited that story, I found out that it wasn't their Mini Cooper. They had gone down to one car, but they were in the process of looking for a new car. So this 85-year-old little lady crashed into their brand new 2022 Mercedes SUV. Mm -hmm. So if somebody crashes into my little putt-putt of a Prius, I'm going to be upset. Not because I love Priuses, but the paperwork. I only have one car. I got to get a rental card now. Uh, my schedule is going to be interrupted. All this stuff. But they got hit in their brand new Mercedes, and they didn't even get upset. They literally looked at each other, laughed, and said, okay, Jesus. And because of that, they helped this little lady with her paperwork, getting the tow truck out there, signing her up for a rental car, fixing a ride to get her to the rental car office. And in this process of her tears and, and losing her husband and all these things, they were able to help this lady after 85 years of not knowing Jesus, receive salvation and secure her eternity forever. Just power. And this, this is the type of people that they are. You know, this is, the, this is the heart that they have to see Jesus everywhere. Even when life gets interrupted through bad circumstances, they still want to see him in everything. And so, of course, they, they took us out to dinner. They took us out to breakfast. I showed them the church. And everywhere that we went, there was a Jesus opportunity. 
we're at breakfast and, and this guy's walking by carrying banana bread and I think he's delivering it to the restaurant and, and we're just talking about Jesus. And he said, did you guys say Jesus? And we said, yes, we did. And we started this 20-minute conversation that led to us praying in the middle of this restaurant out loud for everybody to see. Then another couple with a four-week-old baby, they end up paying for their, their uh, meal and so forth. And we're just blessing people and praying out loud in, in a restaurant. And everybody's trying to eat their waffles saying, what is going on with these crazy Jesus freaks? Then as they're packing up their Mercedes and they're getting ready to do the final five hours and finally be home, their, their final place, not moving around the country or the world anymore, no more deployments, no more nothing, their final home, we're packing them up, we're on the sidewalk at my apartment complex and we all grab hands and I declare and pray over them and they declare and pray over me and we're sitting there just loving on each other, praying before they hop in the car and take off and my neighbor who's on the downstairs, bright red hair, um, she comes on over and she says, I saw you praying, tears start flowing, I need prayer. So for the next half an hour, we're sitting there ministering to my neighbor, praying for her. She already knew Jesus, but just ministering to her. Why? Because we just look for Jesus everywhere. We just position ourselves to, to dare to pray in public and, and to look for opportunities where God can work in and through us. And today, I want to continue in our series in prayer with a title that says, Open My Eyes, Lord. The topic of God's perspective. How can we pursue God's perspective in prayer? Because bottom line, there are two choices that we get to decide in life. And that's the choice of either looking through our own perspective and our own fleshly needs or looking through the perspective of God. We really have only two choices. And the fact is that the autopilot of the soul is set on the flesh. The autopilot of the soul is going to constantly look through logic and reasoning and leaning on our own understanding rather than easily looking to the Lord. It takes discipline and it takes work in renewing our mind and guarding our hearts to keep our eyes focused on God. It's so easy to miscommunicate with the Lord. It's so easy to misinterpret things. It's so easy to be distracted. I think of uh, Martha and Mary in Luke chapter 10. Mary sees that Jesus comes into the home and she immediately sits at his feet, which is the posture of a student to a rabbi. She's wanting to learn. She's wanting to receive. And Martha is just busy. The Bible actually says that she was busy with much serving. And she started getting upset. I think, how dare you have the Messiah, the king of the universe on your sofa and you dare get mad at him because you're doing all the work and tell my sister to help me? And he says, you're worried over so many things, but Mary has chosen what is right to sit at my feet. Martha was busy making sandwiches that Jesus never ordered. She was distracted in her own reasoning. God is in my living room. I need to make him sandwiches. What, what can I do here? And I got to work and my sister's not helping me. She's being lazy. She just wants to learn from the Messiah. How dare she, you know, and just busy, 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 distracted. But that's what we easily do. But as uh, 1 Corinthians 7.35 says, we must live undivided before the Lord. Not having a divided mind or heart, but undivided to the Lord. And we bear the choice of looking through the eyes of the flesh or through spiritual eyes. I want to read real quick from Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, you don't have to turn there. This is not our main scripture and it should be on the screen here. But Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 uh, through 19, this is a prayer that Paul had for the church at Ephesus. And he says, For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus 
which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Oh, I pray that every day over my, my heart. God, give me wisdom and revelation of more knowledge of who you are. In verse 18, this is the key here. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Some versions say the eyes of your heart may be opened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of the inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. Now, that's a powerful statement, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Now, in the Hebrew, I know this is Greek, New Testament, but in the Hebrew, the word for heart is a very awesome definition. In Hebrew, the definition of your heart is the seat of thought or emotion. The seat is the place where your thoughts and your emotions rest, where you find your peace. And then in the Greek here, the word enlighten means to shine light on. So that's like you're walking into a dark room and you have no idea where the light switch is. And so you pull your cell phone out and you turn on your flashlight and that light illuminates, enlightens, shows you, brings clarity, gives you comfort, gives you safety because you're not going to trip over something. And so when he says the, the eyes of your heart be enlightened, he's saying all of your thoughts, your mind, your will, your emotions be open to the sight of God's perspective, that God's light would shine in all areas of your life so that you can see better. God's perspective brings not only comfort, but it brings confidence. I don't know if you've ever, as a kid, we're at the end of a long, dark hallway, and you knew that the light switch was on the other end of that hallway. Did you just casually walk on over to it? No. As a kid, you're like, <laughs> click. But the second that you hit that light switch, you're like, yeah. I'm not afraid. You're afraid, you know? Once the light is there, it brings the confidence. And the same thing is true with God's perspective. When we see as God sees, when we, we see his perspective, when we are convinced that it's him who is leading us, there's not only a comfort, but there's a confidence. And we can pray in the way that he would want us to pray when we seek his perspective first. Now, the, the crazy thing is that Jesus, in his humanity, he even needed to seek the perspective of God. So if you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of Matthew chapter 26. And we're going to see Jesus in the garden where he is about to be betrayed and about to be brutally murdered by the Romans in a horrible form of execution. I think you would be nervous. I'm nervous enough the night before I go to the dentist. But the night before your crucifixion, even though Jesus was 100% God, he was also 100% man. And we see his vulnerability. We see his humanity in this story as he wrestles with the will of God. Again, this is Matthew 26. And I'm going to be a Bible geek for a second because I didn't realize this until this morning. But our scripture passage is Matthew 26, verse 36 to verse 46. I don't know if that makes you happy when you read your Bible, but it does me and my little type A brain. I geek out over stuff like that. But the Garden of Gethsemane, verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. So it's not bad if you're grieved and distressed in life. You just don't want to stay there. 
Go to God in that pain. Verse 38, and he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour. Now, remember, they just had a fantastic communion meal. They probably had a little wine. Their, their uh, bellies were filled with some awesome Jewish bread. And so it's very easy to see that with the full belly and, and very relaxed, they, they could fall asleep. But at a time when Jesus needed them the most, they couldn't keep watch. Verse 41, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed and saying, Father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. You can see Jesus here. He's going before God. I'm like, if there's any other way, this can be done. No. And he prays again. So he's constantly going before the Father to gain his perspective. But he's also going before the Father to get the confidence of his perspective so that he can endure the cross. And finally, these last two verses, verse 45. Then he came to disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. So I just love this, that Jesus didn't walk around and was completely confident, and, and I am God, and I'm going to—no fear whatsoever, but— he showed us that he dealt with the same temptations, the same fears, the same distresses that we would face in life. But rather than just keep to himself and just endure it and, and tolerate it and go before it, he said, no, I'm going to purpose myself to put my face before the Father and seek his perspective. So I think there's two things going on in this story that I love. There's one, the pursuit of God's perspective, and there's two, the wrestling with the human emotion. And I think if we're going to pray, God, open my spiritual eyes. God, I want your perspective. We need to purpose our heart to do those two things, to pursue his perspective and to make sure that our hearts and our thoughts are in alignment. So in your notes here this morning, I want to explore those two things as we wind down. The first in your bulletins there, point number one, our prayers should seek God's perspective. Our prayers should seek God's perspective. That when we go before the Father, we should say, what do you say Father, what do, what do you think, Father? What do you declare unto me? That we seek his perspective first. Perspective changes everything. I remember several years ago, I was on a church staff of about six or seven pastors. And every year we try to get away on a retreat where we can plan for the year, uh, have some fun together, bond a little bit with each other. And one year we went up to Big Bear Lake. Somebody in the church had this amazing home right on the lake. I'm talking a house big enough that every pastor on staff got their own room. And so we show up and we start unpacking and we make ourselves a little dinner and everybody picks out which room that they wanted and we start settling in for the night. Well, I remember I left my backpack with my laptop, my Bible in the living room. So I go back out there to get that. And as I'm out there, I see our Spanish pastor and he's coming in from outside on the deck. And in his hands, he has cushions from the outside seats. And I look at him like, what in the world are you doing? He goes, well, um, I don't have a bed in my room. So I just wanted to find something that would be comfortable I can sleep on. Like, what do you mean you don't have a bed in your room? 
And he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't have a bed. And so all the pastors now are like, there's no bed in your room? So we go to his room and we look around. We go, oh, our Spanish pastor had no idea what a Murphy bed was. So we show him and we pull a bed down from out of the wall and his mind was blown. <laughs> he could not understand it. I remember the following year they went uh, to, I forget which country in Africa, and they're teaching this illustration, and he couldn't finish the sermon because the Africans there couldn't get past the fact that there was a bed in the wall. You know, they could never finish the sermon. And so he, he found out what a Murphy bed was and was so inspired by it that he was even looking to buy one for his own house. So before this encounter, he had no idea that beds could be in the wall. After one encounter and revelation of a Murphy bed, now he will never look at a wall differently or the same again. Now he sees there's possibility in that wall. And the same thing is so true in our faith that we are going to have several encounters throughout our years in God's glory and in revelation from the Holy Spirit. These experiences and these encounters that we have with God should transform the way we see life, should transform our perspective because we are partnering with the heart of God and we're gaining his perspective. So when you come across a problem, you could say, well, I remember when God brought me through this and he taught me as I was going through this trial. So now as this new trial is coming my way, I can see through God's eyes and I know he has a promise for me on the other end. I know as I suffer and I go through this distress, he will be with me. You have a different perspective. And again, that perspective, it brings confidence. It brings a comfort. It's much like Elijah in 2 Kings 6. I love this story so much. You have an entire army that is coming against Elijah and his poor little servant, his little armor bearer. And as they're walking, they see this army and Elijah tells the servant, do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are against us. And the servant's looking at this guy like, my brother, are you on something? Because I only see the bad guys. <laughs> and then he prays over him and says, father, will you open his eyes? Then he sees an uh, angel army of fire all around the place, and they had a, a victory that day. But his eyes had to be opened. They had to see it through God's perspective. And so through our time of prayer, I implore you to passionately and confidently pursue the perspective of God. Go before God with paper and pen. Go before God with, with an open heart that says, I'm not just going to pour out all my frustrations and beg you for all the things that I want and ask you for a ton of stuff. I'm going to go before you in a posture of receiving like Mary did at the feet of Jesus. And with the pen and paper saying, Father, I just come before you today and I ask this week, I'm going to be facing these things. Do you have something to say on it? What do you want me to dwell on and think on? Write those things down. I remember hearing a sermon from a pastor who was preaching to his 15,000 seat auditorium in, in Singapore. And he's preaching to these people and he goes, ask God questions. Ask God questions. He's like, where do you think all these sermons come from? They come from me having issues in life. And I go before the Father and say, what say you? And I write those down. And the answers to those questions become the sermons that I preach to you. I mean, how much more in our, in our lives that we, we have issues and things we have to deal with and big decisions we have to make and changes that come upon in our lives that we need to go before him and pursue his perspective in it. And whatever decision I have to make in life and when I need God's perspective, immediately I go to him first. I go to God in prayer first. I want my heart to connect with his heart. I want to see it through his eyes. Then I go to the word of God. 
I've talked with God. I've written down some things. Now I confirm it with the word of God, make sure I'm not out of alignment. Then I go to people I trust that I know walk with the Lord, mentors, pastors, friends that I trust. And I say, here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what I felt I heard from the Lord. What do you think? Can you pray with me? In the counsel of many, there is wisdom. And I, I wrestle with these things, but the main goal that I have is to seek God's perspective. I want to, at the end of the day, lay my head on my pillow with a good, clean conscience of saying, I have done everything possible to be in perfect alignment with God's heart. I want his perspective. And the second thing is that our prayers should shape our thoughts and emotions. Point number two, our prayers should shape our thoughts and emotions. My first year of Bible college, I was taking a class called New Testament Survey. And you take a, a, just a glimpse of the entire New Testament and the theology that's there. And I had a 76-year-old professor named Professor Sammy. I couldn't call him Professor Burton. I had to call him Professor Sammy. That's what he liked to be called. And he played softball every Tuesday, and he still slid into home base. That was Professor Sammy. And in his front pocket, he had a three-by-five card, front and back, and tiny writing of all of his favorite verses. He had that card in his pocket for 30 years. And he would pull it out and read and put it back in, pull it out and read all throughout his days. So me, as a 19-year-old, I, I raised my hand. I said, um, Professor Sammy, uh, you're a professor. You got a lot of degrees. Shouldn't you have memorized those verses by now? I mean, why are you still reviewing them? They should be in your heart. And he goes, oh, my child. You know, he's, he looks at me. He's like, oh, stupid one. He goes, the key to memorization is review, review, review. The key to forgetting is neglect, neglect, neglect. So prayer, whenever you get a, a, a series, a teaching series in a church about prayer, everybody's like, oh, okay, you know, prayer is so elementary in the faith. But I believe that we need to revisit not only the elementary things of the faith, but to revisit the great revelation we have in these wonderful foundations of our faith. You know, Christianity is not mastering one level and moving up the ladder until you become a super Christian. Christianity is about simple faith. Christianity is about staying in this posture of prayer. It's so good. It's so powerful. It's so life-transforming that you can do the simple thing every day and completely transform your life. But it takes us to, as the scriptures say in Romans 12, to renew our mind so that we won't conform to the patterns of this world. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else. God won't force he won't force us to think a certain way. It's up to us to line our hearts up with the word of God and through him in prayer to keep our minds renewed on truth and to get rid of distraction, get rid of lies, and to guard our emotions. That we lead our emotions. Our emotions don't lead us. You know, last week we talked about Matthew chapter 6 and Jesus teaching us the Lord's Prayer. I don't believe the Lord's Prayer is something that we repeat every single day. I believe he showed us a model of a prayer lifestyle to follow. And in that, before that prayer, in a right, right around verse 7 and 8, he says, don't use meaningless repetition like the Gentiles do. They thought if they do Hail Mary full of grace, Hail Mary full of grace, all day long, that they would get gold stars from God and he would answer them because they use so many words. He goes, don't be like that. Have a heart-to-heart -heart connection. So he's telling us, don't just keep pestering God. Don't keep going for him, asking him, asking him, asking him, asking him, using a lot of words. But then you go one chapter later to chapter 7, and it says, ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. 
So chapter six, don't keep asking. Chapter seven, keep asking. I love this about the Bible. I love Jesus in John chapter two. He's able to say, my time has not yet come. I'm not making wine. Then a couple verses later, he's making wine. It's not that we're crazy and, and going back and forth. It's that we're that submitted to God and that every situation is different. But this is what I, I personally believe, that Matthew 6 is a prayer about our needs. But chapter 7 is a prayer about our dreams. And there's different ways that we approach God in prayer with these things. Now, when we go before God, Matthew chapter 6, we're saying to the Father, we're like, you know my needs. And I don't even have to beg you over and over for my needs because you are my Father. And I just simply have to pursue you and know that I can receive from you. And last week, I, I talked about some confusion that, well, if God already knows what I'm going to pray before I ask, then why do I even bother praying? What's the point of praying if, if God already knows everything I'm going to say and so forth? Why do I pray if, if he's already going to do it? Now, remember, it, it says when you pray to the Father, we thank him for the needs that he's going to supply, our daily bread. It doesn't say go and ask God for your daily bread. It says pray. So you can have a prayer of thanksgiving. You can have a prayer of praise. You can have a prayer of just fellowship and communion with God. It doesn't mean you're begging him, but thanking him that he supplies all of your needs. But then there are the things that we have to go before God where we don't get an answer. God, I need a different job. God, I need a home. God, I need you to restore my marriage. God, I'm wrestling with this anxiety and this fear and it won't go away. And we constantly ask and seek and knock. And he may not give us the answer right away. We may not see the change that we're praying for, but one thing that happens when we go before him without the meaningless repetition, but the heartfelt come consistently going before him, the change happens in us. Something shifts in us. We renew our minds. We renew our hearts. We get into a place where we're seeing it through his perspective, and we are preparing ourselves for the time when he does answer. We have to trust God in the middle of our storms so that when we pray to him, we can still see through his perspective. Just this past week, God gave me some new revelation over the last three years to five years that my wife, my son, and I have been going through. You guys all know my story of betrayal and, and moving from California to Texas in an RV on nothing but faith and a prayer. You know all the things that we went through, and I had to shut down a church plant, and I said, God, why did I have to shut down a church plant that I put $40,000 of my own money into? We had 100 people coming, and we had a worship team and a children's team. And, and it was going so great, but my body was falling apart. And my, my wife was going through a crisis. And, and, and why did I have to close that church down? And then he spoke to me and said, Rudy, that was in 2018. Could you imagine working a full-time job, trying to grow a church, and then go through COVID in California? Forget about it. But then I, I came to Texas and I took this job in Dallas and it was at a Methodist church. And some of the people there weren't in alignment with some of the real truths of the Bible. And, and I was a youth pastor associate. And those kids were the snottiest, most disrespectful little brats I've ever had in my life. I'm like, what? And I wasn't enjoying it. And though they gave me a free house and free education, a, a private school for my son, I'm like, I, I hate life right now. I don't feel like I'm supposed to be here. And I thought, God, why, why did I do this? I remember sitting in my car in Houston, and I'm on Zoom, and I have two meetings. They're going to happen 30 minutes apart from each other. Basically, I was going to get two offers where I could become a senior pastor in the state of Washington 
Or I could say yes to this weird associate youth deal at a Methodist church, but we would finally have a home and not have to live in an RV. And my son wouldn't have to be homeschooled. He can actually go to a small private Christian school for free. So I'm sitting here, I'm like, go and chase dreams of being a senior pastor or sucking it up and, and making sure my family is good. So I felt like I made almost a fleshly decision. I didn't really see God's perspective. I said, I really need my needs met. So I'm going to say no to Washington and say yes to Dallas. And every month that passed by in those next 18 months, I thought, oh, my Lord, why did I do this? Why did I do this? God, I made a mistake. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But then I thought, and this just, this just came to me last week. I felt the Lord say to me, if you did pursue Washington, you would have never found Duncanville. And I can't tell you every single week how much more God confirms that this is where we're supposed to be. How much more he confirms this is my true spiritual family here at Southgate. How much he confirms where my son is thriving in high school. My wife is beyond excited and we see energy being restored to her. and She's making friends here and we're living our dreams, leading a local church in Texas for revival. And so even in what I felt was my mistake, God has shown me afterwards, no, 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 no. I had you exactly where I needed you to be. And now after it's all over, I can look back and see, wow, that really was you, God, orchestrating every step. I can make plans, but it's God who ordains my steps. And now when I face something else where I'm wrestling with doubt or I'm going through, oh, I made the wrong decision or did I hear you clearly? I have a new confidence because God, look what you did in the last five years. And I know what you can do in the next five years, but my heart is wanting to be right here with you. What do you say? Where are you going? Like Jesus' heart, I only say what I hear the Father saying. I only do what I see the Father doing. I'll only go where I see the Father moving. That's our hearts. And I pray and I encourage you that as we continue in the series in, in prayer, that you get that as last week, the main thing is the heart of affection to the Father. And that as we go before him with this incredible privilege of being able to communicate and talk to and hear back from the creator of the universe, that we say, what's in your heart, God? Because that's what I want my life to be about. So, Father, we thank you for your goodness and thank you that we're not simply servants or robots that you bark out commands and we have to follow. But you created this thing as relationship. You made it a father to a daughter, father to a son. You put us in this world. You said you wouldn't take us out of this world, but you would protect us from the evil one. So as we are here, not of this world, but in this world, Father, you have promised your Holy Spirit for comfort, for revelation and wisdom. But you have provided access to the very throne of God through the grace of Jesus Christ to go before you and to receive from you and to hear from you. God, thank you for this incredible privilege that we can commune and fellowship with you and that we can go by past our own thoughts and emotions and feelings and doubts and fears and look to you for confidence and truth and clarity. We ask in the name of Jesus that you would open our spiritual eyes, that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened in the power of you, Jesus. Thank you for my friends here. And as we continue on a new week, much like my friends who have said, it's all about you, Jesus, and wherever you are moving, we want to partner with. We pray you would give us opportunities this week, God, to seek your perspective. But as we're at a restaurant, to pray. As we walk out of our homes and get to our cars, that we can wave to a neighbor and offer prayer. 
that in our cubicle at work, that we can develop friendships with people who are far from you to welcome them into your heart. Thank you, Father, for the blessing of the spiritual gifts and blessings you have deposited in us. Help us to seek your will, your perspective to release this into this world that we may see it truly on earth as it is in heaven. Bless my friends here this morning, God. Thank you for the protection, the provision, and the love and joy that's upon their lives because of you and your sacrifice. Go before us and thank you for your joy. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. You have a wonderful week. And if there's any need for prayer, we'll have some altar workers up here uh, that would love to pray for you, lay hands on you, and so forth. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.